Welcome to the All In Gospel Bible Study. Each week, we move chapter by chapter through the Bible towards a comprehensive understanding of what the Bible teaches. All In Gospel is recorded live in White Bear Lake, Minnesota, featuring Dr. Sean Dickers. You can support this broadcast by subscribing or donating at the AllInGospel.com website. We are in Mark chapter 4 this morning, picking up where we left off. And as usual with Mark, the first word is the word and. Uh, we have been in a, a narrative that has gone on three chapters, almost like one run-on sentence. Because this is how Mark writes. Uh, and again, he began to teach by the sea, and a great multitude was gathered to him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. And then he taught them many things by parables, and he said to them in his teaching, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and it happened as he sowed that some of the seed fell by the wayside, or a road. And the birds of the air came and devoured it, and some fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, because it had no root, it withered away. And some of the seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it and yielded no crop. But the other seed fell on good ground and yielded a good crop that sprang up and increased and produced some thirtyfold, some sixty, some a hundred. And he said to them, he who has ears, let him hear. And that's not ears of corn, that's ears like that we have. So here's the context. We are still on the Sabbath. And, it, and I don't know why, but that really struck me this time going through Mark. A lot of these things that Jesus did, he did on the Sabbath. He, they were gathering for Bible study. He ticks off the Pharisees. He walks out of the what they would have called their, their synagogue or church. And everybody in church went and followed Jesus. So it would be as, it would be as of it, one of the most defiant things you could do to, to the Pharisees is take their church away from them. And in, when Mark he, in, says in verse 1, there's a great multitude, it's more than just the normal synagogue. People have come from all over. Come all, from all over. And in chapter 2 and chapter 3, Mark's emphasized that people came from lands all over the place. Like the word was spreading. This guy had power. He healed people. He cast out demons. He cured leprosy. Um, he uh, fixes paralyzed people. Like all these things are happening, and people are coming from all over the place. He gets into a boat... Which is an interesting thing, and it's kind of a scientific validation. One of the things about water is if you're out on the water, it, it sound carries really well. It's why fishermen don't like to take you if you talk too much, because the water is a natural acoustic. So when he goes out on this boat, all he has to do is go out about 20 yards, and it's going to expand the number of people that can hear what he's saying. So just a little piece on that. It's not a common place for synagogue. In other words, once again, Jesus is kind of breaking the rules. They made very ornate synagogues, a lot like today we make very ornate church buildings. And Jesus seemed to have no qualms about the point of Sabbath was to study the word and to learn from, learn from God things you can apply to your life. So the fact that he's creative about where he's going to have synagogue service is kind of an interesting thing. And it would be one more reason where the Pharisees would be like, you can't just teach the Bible out here. And you can't do those sorts of things. But the reason is the press of people. Back in chapter 3, verse 10, the people in the crowds were getting so anxious to get to Jesus, they couldn't even like get into their own pockets and take out a piece of bread. So he gets out on this boat, and he gets just a little bit off, 
uh, and and he could fit upwards of you know five to ten thousand people along this particular piece of geography. So then he tells parables. Last chapter we saw a lot of parables. We're going to see parables. Or last chapter it sets up this whole thing, but for Mark chapter four is the first chapter where there's actually a teaching from Jesus, and. It's interesting because Matthew sets up a number of sermons through his gospel. Mark sets up very few, and the point of this chapter is to say something more like, this is the way Jesus taught. And so we get parables that are really important to to Mark or Peter, who's relating these stories. But the point is that they're stories. And this is how Jesus taught. He didn't teach with high theological concepts. He taught with just telling a story. And there's reasons for that that he's going to give in the chapter. Part of it psychologically is our brains are wired to hear stories. We're social creatures. God made us that way. So when we tell stories to one another, those are things we remember without trying. If we give each other bullet point lists, we have to try to remember those things. But if I told you about my great aunt Bertha and her whiskers, you'd remember that for weeks. I'd say, oh, my granite Bertha, and you'd say, oh, the one with whiskers? (laughs) It would just stick in your head. So these parables are things, I'm guessing most of us are familiar with the parable of the seeds. We just remember it. Oh, yeah, there's, there's putting them on the road, there's putting them in the stones, there's putting them in the thorns, and then there's good soil. And that's supposed to convey a spiritual truth to us that would go right through a hard heart because the story will stick around longer than the sermon does. And that's so important. And I call this stickiness when you hear a Bible teaching and something just sticks with you for a week, two weeks, even years later, you just remember that teaching and that's the Holy Spirit working. It's really gentle and it's really soft. But when you're in a tough time and that word of God comes to your head, that is not Satan and that's not the flesh. That's the Holy Spirit and it's just that soft. So there's this idea that the parables will illustrate something that that a hard-hearted person won't hear. And a soft-hearted person will hear. What's the difference between a hard-hearted person and a soft-hearted person? hard-hearted person really doesn't care about the things of God. They're not interested. They're after the things of the world or the things of their own will and flesh and desire. And then there's people that are like, you know what? The world and my flesh haven't offered me much. It's kind of a dead end. So that heart is soft and ready to hear a, perhaps a different way to live life. And a, and a new thing. So the sower goes out to sow. Jesus uses life examples. This is an agrarian society. Everybody has a farm or a vegetable garden in the first century. Everybody does. It's like, 19, uh, it's like 1938 America. If you didn't have a victory garden, something was wrong with you because the food wasn't in the grocery store. So in agrarian society, even in the cities, city dwellers would have a garden outside the town. A good example of this we just hit in 1 Kings 21. Um, actually, we're going to hit that tonight, aren't we? Uh, Ahab has a vegetable garden outside the wall of the city, and that's the king of northern Israel. So even the king has a vegetable garden that he keeps. So that's the kind of society we're in. You live off the food you grow. Uh, They didn't have grocery stores, so they had markets. So if you weren't growing it, you know, you didn't have it. So the image of growing plants is something that Jesus is telling because everybody relates to it. For us, the same version would be like doing a parable about the roads or the highways. We all experience them, some of us in different ways than others. But when he's talking about gardens, I think we should know that what we miss in a non-agrarian society, everybody that heard this would have gotten. They would have figured this, they would have known these situations of where seeds land. So it's by the wayside, they would have known that around every one of these crops and gardens, the way they divided them is they put roads. 
So they would have crops and land, but they'd often have paths that went between them. And this is how the world would travel. You'd travel in between these roads. They didn't have shoulders. And so this is part of the gleaning law. If you're a traveler, you could just reach to the side of the road and grab some food as you travel, as the disciples did, and they got in trouble doing it. The more traffic, the more these roads get packed down. And so these pathways, just like any pathway, they get harder and harder the more you walk on them. If you walk through a forest and you have a well-worn path, no plants are growing on the path, either because they get stomped on or because the ground itself has gotten so hard that seeds can't get into it. So the more well-rounded, the better. So the three types of grounds that don't work in the parable and one that does, pathways or roads, rocky and thorny. And we're going to go through each of those. Um, we have all three of those types of ground in our yard. So in the spring, if you want to go out, we got rocky ground right here. We have well-worn ground by the side of the garage. And we have thorns on the devil's garden on this hillside right here that grow up like crazy. So if you want to experience each of these types of ground, uh, we've been fighting with them since we moved into the house. Verse 9, and he said to them, he who has ears, let him hear. Don't skip over this. Like, for, there's huge theological implications on this. This means that he doesn't state the truth and then illustrate it. He tells a parable and he lets them think about it. Think of the difference between that and a modern church. Like, my goal is everybody leaves here with understanding. It was not Jesus' goal that everybody understood what he said. That's a very different approach to teaching that I don't think we see in our society at all. Like, I wouldn't even know where to go with that. Like, only a, only a divine being would be able to do that. Because wouldn't the instinct of the speaker always be for the audience to have understanding? And Jesus is like, if you got ears to hear what I'm saying, hear it. And if you don't, you don't. And with total authority and confidence, he says something like that. It's more of an invitation that Jesus gives to his listener to play with that idea. Isn't that interesting? Like, I'm just going to plant a seed, pun intended, and I'm just going to let you play with that, and I'm going to trust that the Holy Spirit's going to work on your heart with it. So he tells this parable, and he says, if you get what it means, great, and if you don't, you don't. The, the idea is Jesus tro spoke truth boldly, but he did it with a mysterious language, and that's what he's going to explain here in a few verses. Um, everyone hears him, but not everybody has ears to hear him. Because their soil isn't ready, which fits the parable. Jesus a number of times seems okay with the idea that the heart of heart don't understand what he's saying. And he's fine with it. Think of that on evangelical terms. When you go out and you talk to non-believers, it's okay that they don't understand what you're talking about. It leaves a mystery, and that's okay. Like, honestly, I'll have people, and I remember that you'd come into work and you'd say good morning and whatever, and after a year or so of working with people, you'll have people that come up and they're just like, I don't get you. You're always happy. And, and there's just this idea of like, well, yeah, there's an abiding, even when things suck, they don't really suck that bad because Jesus is there. So you have this, this sense of being and working that leaves a mystery in the hearts of the people around you. Isn't that wonderful? As a public school teacher, you'd plant seeds like that all the time. You had to communicate that way. You just leave mysteries for people. And I just love that. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. There's no strategy or tactic to get them to hear. It's entirely trusting the Holy Spirit to work on their heart. What an amazing thing. So the purpose of the parables. Verse 10 says, And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parable. And he said to them, To you it's been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to those who are outside, all things come in parables. If you aren't ready to hear the word of God, you're not going to hear it. 
This is one of my issues with forcing people to hear the gospel. If they're not ready for a new way to live, they don't want to hear it from you. And you just become an annoying, badgering Christian that fits their stereotype of an annoying, badgering Christian. Stop doing that. Leave a mystery and live your life and do what God's told you to do. Hear him, listen to him, and do what he says. And in that point, hopefully you live a life that's beyond reproach to where people see you and think, I want to be more like that because what's in here isn't working anymore. You leave the mystery. The thing about a mystery, the use of that word in the Greek, a mystery is not something that's unreachable or far away. We can use that word, oh, this is a mystery. We don't understand it and we can't understand it. That's not the use of this word. This use of the word mystery fits more like a mystery book that you read. The point of the mystery is to solve it at the end. And so the way they look at that is that every mystery, it's unreachable if you don't have the key or the clue to it. But if you do have the key to the clue to it, it's meant to be revealed. So like when you read a mystery novel, the joy of a mystery novel is when you get to the end and the writer doesn't cheat on you. Everything you needed to know was laid out before you as you read the book, and it all comes together in a way that you didn't expect at the end, and that's the delight of a mystery. That's what parables are for. The only thing you need in a parable is you need the key. You need the one clue that unlocks it so you know what they're talking about. He's not just talking about farming, right? So you don't, if you don't see the mystery, that's good because you want the reveal at the end. So there's ways you could hear this parable that it's, it's about how to farm. You could listen to this parable and think, well, this is about not being so sloppy with where you throw your seeds, you can read this parable and think they have a bird crisis because they plant seeds and birds come and steal them. So this is an ecological disaster. This could be a parable about how to keep soil and what kinds of soil work better than others, like a farmer's almanac. Like there's lots of ways to read this, but if you don't, and if you don't have the key, those all would make perfect sense. Honestly, if you planted seeds and birds came and stole them all, that's a, you should get out the BB gun and start shooting some birds. But that's not absolutely not what this is about. Verse 12. So that the purpose of the mystery is seeing they may see and not perceive and hearing they can hear and not understand lest they should turn and all their sins are forgiven them. Well, that's curious. Jesus isn't hiding truth at all and he's not preventing anybody from hearing them. He's not going out of his way for hard-hearted people to understand what he says. It gives him time practically because the Pharisees are already seeking to destroy him. I think that was the last chapter. He's going to be able to continue to preach, and the Pharisees cannot go after him about a farming story. They can go after him when he starts talking about the fact that they're going to burn in hell. So you can tell stories about the kingdom of God and not actually have cause for Pharisees to kill you. So everyone can hear it, but not everybody really hears it. Does that make sense? That's a mystery. That's actually really amazing. It's not a puzzle to solve. It's simply you wait till the end of the mystery story, you get the key to unlock it, and you get the reveal at the end. And that's what we're going to get in the next few verses. So the, this quote that he gives in verse 12 is actually from Isaiah 6-9. Uh, Jesus loves the book of Isaiah. He quotes it a lot. And so if you, it, this idea that to not be blind or to reveal something is actually a fulfillment of prophecy. The fact that he taught like this fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah, and Jesus is pointing that out to his disciples. It's stunning when a person is hard to the gospel, how they can hear and perceive totally different things. It's stunning. And if you keep your sense of humor, it's kind of funny. So you can bring somebody with you to church today, and you get done, and you're like, well, what did you think of Mark chapter 4? And you go home, and you're just like, 
I, I don't get why we were talking about farmers. I mean, they just, they're on a totally different wavelength. Or if their convictions work in them, it's like, I think he just taught that because I was there and this was targeted at me. And it'll be like, you know, that's your conscience. Like, that's, like, seriously, we just do the next chapter. It has nothing to do with who's showing up and who's not, other than the Holy Spirit's orchestrating those things. If you're here for, you're here for a reason. So that idea, lest they should turn, lest, and their sins be forgiven them, um, for some that's a tough spiritual concept, that if they have a hard heart and they don't hear, they're never going to repent. And Jesus is saying that, like, that's a reality. It does happen, and that's heartbreaking when it's family and friends. And you know there's a better way to live that they'd be happier living it that way, but then they just hear a message and they don't get it, and, 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 and it's a reality. So Jesus is training his disciples here. Um, you can do a whole sermon about the love of God for those that repent, and all a hard-hearted person hears is condemnation that they have to repent, but, and they miss the love of God entirely. It's crazy. You can force somebody to come with you or arm twist them, and the next week they'll have 20 million excuses why they don't want to come again because their heart's just not ready. It doesn't meet a need for them. So you get this idea that there are many spiritual truths that aren't plausible or even conceivable until folks have a, a soil that's ready to go. And that's the whole point of this parable, as we're going to find out. The pathway... <laughs> the stony, the thorns, for the, for the people with the pathway, they can begin to see, they can't even begin to see that the hard-packed road doesn't lead them to life. They're walking down a path that's a dead end and they don't get it. The stony ground, they can't even begin to see that there's that one area of their life they won't let go, go of and it's holding them back. For the thorns, they can't even begin to understand that persistent sin in their life continues to block their, their life. And they won't have joy until they get rid of it. Pathway, stones, thorns. These are the th three things. So we're invited to this mystery to think about these things. The parables, it's just sitting on their head. They get alone with Jesus and they're like, we don't get it. What is that? And Jesus is like, let me tell you. I'm going to explain one to you. And in the book of Mark, he explains one. The rest of the parables we're supposed to understand are about spiritual concepts. And he gives us a key in this one that's going to unlock the other ones. Verse 13, and he said to them, don't you understand this parable? Like, how horrible would that be for your teacher to be like, you don't get this? I mean, it just makes you feel like a little, like, I'm sorry, I didn't get it. How then will you understand all the parables? So that's the key. Once he gives us the key, we should be able to understand all the parables with this key that he's going to give us. One of them shows everything. Then the key is not just for this parable. It's a constant imagery that the seed is the word of God, right? So it's not just a seed, a physical seed. It's the word of God. It's like a decoder ring. Once you got the decoder ring, you can figure out the secret message on the back of the cereal box. And then you can figure out the next cereal box because you still got your decoder ring. It's not an il illustration. It's a mystery to solve. And the point is to solve it. The sower sows the word. That's the key. It isn't about farming. It's about the Word of God. Now, the Word of God, you could go to John and say, okay, the Word of God is Jesus. That's semantics from Jesus' perspective. What he's talking about with the Word of God is everything that's in the Old Testament and everything he said because he is the Word. So the words of Jesus, the words of the Old Testament, that's the Word when it's referenced. That's the seed that's going out. So what do you mean? Like, So we go around and we cast the Word of God everywhere we go like we're planting a crop? And the answer is yes, that's exactly what we do. So 
if the seed is something else that the decoder rings off. Let me give you an example. If the seed is money, then this whole parable is about how to invest your money. You get it? You see the decoder ring and how that works? If the seed is about family, then this whole thing's about how to run your family. Because the farmer's just making families. Actually, that's kind of polygamous, but... The parable is about how different people respond to the word of God in our lives and as we do things. So verse 15, And these are the ones by the wayside where the word was sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. So we have a second key. What are the birds? The birds are Satan, adversary in the Hebrew. Birds of the air. I had to ask when I was going through this, why did he use of the air? Don't we know what birds are without that? So why did he say birds of the air? There are birds that don't fly. But his listeners would not have been familiar with that. So the birds of the air may be a reference to the ways of this world. And here's where I get that from. Ephesians 2.2, where in the time of the past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, and the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. When he says birds of the air, it's this idea that Satan has dominion over everything that's out there. The ways of this world, everything your high school guidance counselor told you to do, everything your favorite pop star tells you to do, everything that your favorite movie tells you to do, every path in life that God that you get from the world is actually from an adversary of God. It's, it's telling you to live a way that's different than the way God has told us to live. The power of the air. The birds of the power of the air. So there's this consistent imagery. They don't just eat. They, there is a word in the Greek for eat, this isn't it. It says they devour. That's a really particular Greek word. Um, it's used by Matthew and it's used by Luke when telling this parable. So it would have been a standout word that Jesus used, an unexpected word that Jesus used. Devour in the Greek is not just to eat, it's to eat forcibly or with abandon. Think Cookie Monster on Sesame Street. It's you're eating so much that there's waste coming out the sides. And so there's this idea of when it gets used throughout the Bible, there are three ways that devour gets used. It gets used with birds in this parable. These birds coming down and just eating the seeds even though they don't need it. They're just crazy about snapping that up when they can. It also gets used with a dragon in the book of Revelation, consuming humanity, devouring humanity with abandon. And then the last one it gets used, and I think this one's great, it gets used in reference to eating the word of God. And I think it's kind of cool because if you're a passionate person and you live a passionate life, you're either going to devour the stuff of the world and do it with passion if, if you've met somebody with a hobby they're in love with, or you're going to devour the word of God because you do it with this passion. It's just <clears throat> the greatest thing in the world. Like, I don't like when we have food up there and you all like wait to get in line to get the food. I'm ready to devour that food. And I'm just like, if you guys aren't going to go first, I'm going to go first because I'm holding back everything I got before I just, I see a pizza, I just want to bury my face in it. And I know that's a little bit of gluttony. I understand that. But that's the attitude of the word of God. I can't wait to dig into the word of God some more because I get so much out of it. It tastes so good. So the word devour there gets used with birds snapping up seeds, a dragon snapping up humanity, and believers snapping up the word of God and just doing it with full abandon. I'll get as much of it as I can, even if it's messy. Satan gobbles up the, tor- the, the truth of God on the well-worn path of this world, the, the world of the air. 
Remember, the reason the path is hard is because so many people walk on it. So many people live life that way because everybody's doing it. But it destroys the heart. It doesn't endure. It's great in your 20s, and sometime in your late 20s, you wake up and go, this life sucks. It doesn't bear any fruit. Or worse, you do it into your 50s, and you wake up and realize there is no happiness in promotions. I do not get more joy with more responsibilities at work. I don't actually have my, a healthier family because I've done all these things the world has told me to do. And then you look at your life and you just get sad because it didn't turn out the way you thought it would. So there, there are those that are deceived because so many people are deceived. And they can hear the word of God and not accept it because they just can't see past what the world's told them to do. It's hard ground and the seed doesn't sink in. It needs to be broken up and that's not easy. In other words, for God to reach those people, things got to collapse. The life's got to fall down around them. They need a hospital trip, a market crash. Something's got to happen to break up that ground. It takes a sharp hoe to break up tough ground. And it's not always fun. And as believers, sometimes you know people like this and you know like, ah, the crash is coming. Just be there for them when it does. So when the ground does crack, they need to know who to go to. Hebrews 10, 12 sow to yourselves righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground, for it's time to seek the Lord till he come and rain righteousness on you. Folks, it's also about our own hearts, not just those other people we talk about. Where in our life is our life hard? Where in the life do we have hard ground? Where in our life do we need to break it up so the rain can come and fill up those cracks? The reign of righteousness. Honestly, it's the peace and righteousness and joy of God that makes mature believers want to devour the word of God even more because they see what it does in their life. It's awesome. Verse 16, check this out. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground. When they hear the word, they immediately receive it with gladness and they have no root in themselves. And so endure only for a time. Afterwards, when tribulation or persecution arises, for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Don't miss that persecution's like assumed to rise up at some point. If you live a life serving the Lord, somebody's, somebody's eventually going to get irritated with you. And that you're just going to bother them at some level to the point where they're like, will you just please shut up about your Jesus? I mean, it's just going to happen. The word stumble there is actually Greek scandalizio which is the root word for scandal, right? So th- there's I- this idea that the persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble, that, that they're, they're scandaled. Another way to interpret scandalizo is offense. They're offended. Think of our culture today and how many people get offended and how quickly they get offended. That word is so applicable. They stumble, they get put off, scandalized, offended, discontent, complaining, stumbling blocks like this are the things that Christians have to watch out for. These are the things that stumble us. And if the stumble thing is like, think about any time you've gone and heard the word of God and you're just bothered by something. That guy's got a lisp. I wish he would stop moving around so much. You're offended by or you're irritated by things. And it's a stone in your heart. It's something that's going on. Those without root are easily offended, indignant. They're they're quick to judge. And that's a sin. It gets in the way of your happiness. So this idea of receiving it with gladness. I know for me when I go to church, there's always, if I go visit a church somewhere, there's always 20 things that, I'm, that, that I get irritated by and I have to just pray about it. Lord, break up those stones. Get them out of my heart. 
right? Maybe your word can just be done in a way that's just simple and beautiful and wonderful by the people that are doing it. So receive it with gladness. Initially, when you hear the word of God, there's so much excitement. Like, this is great. You, it sticks with you during the week and it helps you. And you're like, oh, that was great. That, that was wonderful. So stony ground does allow for minimal growth. Let's think about this. These are people that have accepted the word of God and they're happy about it. And we've seen that. We've seen people come to Bible study and they're just juiced up, right? And then we don't see them three weeks later. Remember those folks? They're so excited. This is so great. This is so awesome. It's like, we don't need you to be excited. We need you to get roots. Get disciplined. Get control of yourself. Take control of the strong man and get him disciplined. Or strong woman. We don't want to be gender one-sided on that because some people might get offended. Stony ground allows for minimal growth, but because there's hard areas, the growth is limited and you're really not getting the benefits of Christianity. You might as well skip it and go do something else. You can, the other thing is the plant can only grow in one direction, which means you're not getting the full blessing of what the, God wants to do in your life. Roots can't grow and they can't grow deep. There's no root in themselves. I want to point out the in themselves there is an emphatic. There's no root in themselves. And in, and in contrast to the pathway where Satan's involved, there's actually evil spiritual forces going on. When it comes to this getting irritated about things and letting things bug you and bother you, Jesus emphatically points out that Satan's not involved with this. This is you and your flesh. So you got to, yes, you got to do battle with Satan, but I think sometimes we blame Satan. You know, poor guy gets blamed for things that he didn't do. Sometimes it's just us. It's just our heart not being open and, and loving and caring. So there are, the other idea, one, one commentator I was looking at looked at this no root in themselves being an idea that where there's any friction in life, frustration comes. So anytime there's friction, there's frustration. So instead of sandpaper smoothing things over and making you better, you just stop up and it stops everything. And this is the danger of the need for enthusiasm and happiness when it comes to your spiritual walk. It's called emotivism, where you just have to be happy all the time or something's wrong. Well, that, those aren't very deep roots. We want peace and joy, but I don't necessarily always need to be laughing and happy like a bad Eddie Bauer commercial, right? It doesn't work like that. This idea of I'll follow Jesus as long as it's super easy and causes me nothing and nobody thinks it's an irritable thing or I don't cross hairs with anybody. But that's such a weak faith, and, it's, and you're never going to get the benefit. So faith by, you know, I think of this, and this is like when it's in themselves, that's not in other people. So I can have really deep roots if I go to church with my mom and dad, but then the faith and the roots are their faith and roots. They're not in myself. It's not my faith. Faith by compulsion, faith because your sister made you come, has nothing to do with the faith I'm talking about. I can't live out my parents' faith, my friends' faith. i got to have my own faith, however small it is. I can't be doing that on other people. So, and praise God for sisters that invite us to church because they love us and they want us to have the same kind of peace and joy we have. Tribulation or persecution, two different things. Trials and battles. A tribulation is something that's just a, a trial that you have to go through. And a persecution is something that other people do to you. In other words, sometimes a tribulation is our own head working against us. Psycho psychologically, this is really interesting. You spiral with things like anxiety, fear, 
low self-esteem, anger. And those things can be our own tribulations that we have to sort through. Some of the greatest believers in the last 2,000 years struggled with their own tribulations all the time. Martin Luther was chief among them. The guy was kind of nuts, but he loved the Lord. And he wanted to serve the Lord, and the Lord actually used a really simple guy. I think sometimes God finds people that go through constant tribulation because they never get too cocky. They know in their own head that they're not that great. So the humility stays where it needs to be, and God can use them. He looks all over the earth for broken people that want to serve. It's wonderful. And then six, but when the sun was up, it was scorched. He goes back to parable mode. What's the sun here? What's the thing that scorches? It's the light. And when, when the, a healthy growing plant experiences sunlight, it expands and grows. It's wonderful, especially when it's fed with living water. But when a healthy growing plant that gets no living water or doesn't have deep roots gets the sunlight that hits them, it actually just withers up and kills it. You can look at our rhubarb last fall, what happened there. If the roots aren't deep, the sunlight's bad for it. This is interesting. We get tuned into people that quickly say, I'm all in, I'm going to follow God, I'm going to give him my whole life, except for in this one area. And that becomes an area where that root wants to go. Proverbs 131, Therefore they will eat from the fruit of their way, and they will be stuffed full of their own counsel. We can be our own worst enemies. Stony ground. Got stones in your heart. Stones don't help you endure, they just get in the way. Then you get to verse 18. Ready for this one? Now there are the ones sown among the thorns. They're the ones who hear the word and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Thorns are things that snag and pull if you've tried to walk through an area with a bunch of thorns in them. Sometimes they poke and hurt, but not in a serious way. This is kind of the the other point with the thorns is like, the thorns were the curse that God gave to Adam because of the fall, right? Is that you got to do things in life. We have to work, we have to make a living, and we have to, we have to keep up on all of those aspects of our life. Jeremiah 4.3, For thus says the Lord, the men of Judah and Jerusalem, break up your fallow ground and sow not among the thorns. So God, Jesus is using images from the Old Testament when he's doing these things, where the pathway has a purpose Thorns have no purpose whatsoever. They're just chores. Notice that Satan's associated with the pathway. Our own heart is associated with the stony ground. The thorns are just all the stuff of life that you still have to take care of and you still have to do. They grow anywhere, they grow quickly, and they grow with little stickers on them. And so you have to do this. The warning of Jeremiah is we don't put our life in those things. And this is a tough thing because people struggle with this. And even in this room, it's like, well, the Bible doesn't say this is a sin, but I, I feel like God's telling me to go this way versus this way, or maybe should I should abstain from this thing for a while. All these things that are not named as sin, but they can become thorns in our life. And sometimes for people where those are thorns, you just need to stay away from them for a while, and that's okay. You know, maybe it's not a bad thing to go out to a comedy club, but maybe if that's a thorn in your life and it holds you up and you get caught up on it, maybe take a break from comedy clubs, you know? So one might say these two are fertile soil um, because it's n- the problem of the thorny ground isn't that the, fer- the soil's not fertile, it's that there's too much growing in the soil automatically, right? So everything grows, including thorns, and it grows without any help. 
That seems to be the struggle of most people I know in the church. It's not that they don't love the Lord. They are a seed plant. There's a seed of the word of God planted in their heart. It's that everything's growing up around them too, and they can't divide the parts of their life for God that they need to. And so everything else gets choked out. So there's three types There's that Jesus listed here. The cares of the world. All gardeners know if you want crops, you have to weed your crops. So we experienced this when the kids were younger and they got to that age where sports were there. And there's kind of this expectation that you put your kids in sports, which we did. But then you're there every night for sports all the time. And then the, the, the sporting systems, they're really tricky this way. Oh, your kid's so good, which was funny because I'm Graham, sorry, you were never an athlete. And so they come up, your kid's so good. He should join the traveling league. And I'm like, you're my son? Are you talking to the right dad? Because my son was kicking the ball the wrong direction. But tra- and, and, and how much is traveling league? Well, it's this much money. It's like a ton of money, a ton of time, a ton of investment. You got to put a lot of life into that stuff. I admire parents and do this. Again, with Thorns, there's nothing wrong with traveling league. But when traveling lead is pitted against the things that God wants for your life, they can become something that snags you up. Sorry, I can't come to the murder mystery night thing. I got this I got to do. And it's, it's one of those things. Again, there's no sin involved here. I'm not trying to condemn any of these things. But it's the thing where you got these obligations to other stuff that then pushes on your obligations to the kingdom stuff. That requires, and this is the toughest part about teaching this, and I, I hope we talk about it. It requires Christians to have discernment Thorns are green. They look like plants when they're coming up. They look like they could be good things, like the fruit of the Word of God. You know, I could maybe do ministry in this area of stuff that has nothing to do with ministry. It's when they come up and they, be, and they start catching that you realize, oh, that's a thorn, and I got to get rid of it. How do you get rid of thorns? You get the roots. You get as low to the ground as you can. You even leverage your thumb off the ground and you get that thorn up by the roots and you cast it as far as you can away. And if you're lucky, you burn the thing up so no seeds come from it. Or they'll just be back next year. Just watch what happens outside. I remember my grandpa and grandma every single morning as their vegetable garden was huge. They'd go out every single morning when they woke up and they would, weed the, they would do their devotions and they would weed their garden. And so for listeners to this, Every one of them had a garden and they would understand this idea. Oh yeah, the thorns. If you don't stay on top of them, next thing you know, they're choking out your fruit. And that's where you just got to make some decisions sometimes. That said, there's nothing wrong with letting that dandelion grow on the edge of the garden. That's not going to choke out your harvest, right? There's nothing wrong with playing sports. There's nothing wrong with, uh, you know, badminton club or any of those things. They can be fellowship opportunities. They can be wonderful, but they have to have this part of your life that doesn't cross. They don't come into your garden. They don't come into what God's trying to do. Deceitfulness of riches. I'm not going to get into this too much because none of us are that rich. We all have to provide for ourselves. There's nothing wrong with making money. I remember one young man, he's like, I hate money. I hate all money. It's like, okay, you need money to buy groceries. That's the reality of it. We all have to work. Bible says we work six days a week, we give God one day. of That's not a huge request from God to get one out of seven days. So for six days, God understands that we have to work. But the deceit of riches is this. If I work harder, money in and of itself can make me happy. And for me, this was my hot tub. 
I dreamed for years that I would get a hot tub. <coughs> now we bought this house, and they left behind their hot tub, and I don't know how to use it. <laughs> it takes chemicals and formulas and things, and I don't want to. So I'm like to the other three people in the family, if you want to figure this thing out, great. I'd love to jump in a hot tub, but I don't want to put the work in on it. I don't know how I got off on that. Here's the deceit of money, that if you get those things, then you'll, then you'll be happy. Finally, you've arrived. If only I have a bigger house, if only I have a better retirement fund, if only my retirement fund was here instead of here, maybe I could get a part-time job to push that along a little bit. I still remember being 18 and having my high school guidance counselor tell me, make sure you put into your 401k. Because if you do it when you're young, it'll be this when you're big. And then what happened is I got my Gen X stock market and it didn't do crap for 20, 30 years. I got exactly what I put into it out of it. And I feel sorry for millennials. You're getting out less than you might have put into it because the market's going down. Money in itself is not our security. It's not even a blessing. It's a tool. And we use it. Or it's a thorn. It grows up and becomes too much for us. Here's the third one he gives you. The desire for other things. Maybe that should have been the hot tub example. Again, Satan's on the path. Our heart is with the stones. This is just stuff. There's nothing about any of these things that are sins. They're just desires that we have. I just want a foot warmer. Right? And just these little things. And we want those things, and we can even fall into the sin of coveting those things when other people have them. But just that idea of being content with what you have, having enough, abiding, and being content. Paul says, I'm content with all things, and he's writing it from a jail cell. I'm good. They had a great image on the John the Baptist when he's in the prison with the second episode of Chosen Three. And, and he's just like, I'm fine. How's Jesus? What's Jesus saying? And just there's this disposition, and that's part of the spiritual battle, is having the disposition that we want no matter where we are. Stone and thorns aren't rebellion. There are still plants growing. There is still a desire for the Word of God. This is absolutely a lesson for all of us. Get the stones out of your heart and keep the ground weeded. Keep your life in order. Keep the rows of your garden straight. And have some discipline about how you do it. The world wants your attention. We seek first the kingdom of God. It makes us very different. It makes us look like we're nuts to people. Choke the word out and it becomes unfruitful. The problem isn't the stain of sin, but the waste of time. And that you have years go by and nothing happens with your life of any significance. What a tragedy. Got a lot of young people in the room right now. Don't look back after a decade and realize you didn't have time to do anything for the kingdom. Put the kingdom first. Give him his time and let him do that work naturally in your life. Then you can look back in 10 years and go, it's been a good 10 years. Way to go. If the Lord waits that long, like you're, you know, I'm not going to make predictions, but we're getting close. Three bad soils that can be used, and I want to make that point really clearly. All four of the soils can be used to grow plants, but three of them have to be dealt with. They have to be. There are some people that are just natural, and these people are rare, and they are precious, and they are a blessing. Soil that doesn't need to be amended. It doesn't need to be weeded. It, there's, the stones are generally gone, and it hasn't been packed down. It's just ready for the Word of God. It's just ripe for it. With pathways, you can break that ground up. With stones, you can get the stones out. With, with the thorns, you can get rid of the weeds. And then you got this fourth one. Um, and again, these are, these are about the word of God being in people's hearts. 
the last soil then is about fruit, not just faith or belief, because there's other grounds have plants in them. So you can believe in God and have no fruit in your life when it comes to the things of the Spirit. Your heart's still empty and broken or stony or thorny. So this is about results, not faith. And I think that for me really, that was one of the keys that unlocked the parable. The purpose of the seed, the word of God, is to get a better life out of it. It's to have fruit on the other end. And plants take time to grow. Really, timber? I could talk about squirrels and timber would be wide awake. Verse 20, but these are the ones sown on good ground. Those who hear the word accept it and bear fruit, some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. You wake him up, Grant. He's just going to distract me. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. It might be if you take the pillow away, then he can straighten his neck a little. I don't know. All right, let me read verse 20 again. Got to get rid of the thorns. But these are the ones sown on the good ground. Those who hear the word accept it and bear fruit, some 30-fold, some 60, some 100. Uh, tons of thoughts on this. Really, the Holy Spirit prepares the soil, breaks the soil, removes the stone, weeds the thorns, and pulls people off the pathway. A lot of the work of this, the Word of God lands and does the work it's going to do. The Holy Spirit prepares that soil. When the soil is good, plants spring up. We don't grow plants, right? We're gardeners. We plant seeds. We don't grow the plant. God grows the plant. That's a really interesting theological idea. It increased and produced, but the, the person, the farmer, didn't have to do anything. The soil didn't have to do anything. The seed of the Word of God does everything. Water and rain come and the plant grows up. It's, a, it's kind of a miracle. Um, it's also, we're not called to do anything here. We're just called to work on our hearts and tend to our hearts. And if we do that, God does things. Tend the soil. As we come week in and week out and hear the word of God, and I hope you're all doing daily devotions too, it, you don't know, you can't feel the change happen in a day, but you look back and suddenly there's a plant there. And you can't force the plant to grow faster, and you can't really slow it down once it's come. I mean, you could put it under a cup and take away all sunlight and rain, but... I thought that was a really interesting idea that the Word of God, when we just do the basic obedient thing of listening to it every week, it actually does things to us. It changes us. And it takes a lot of time for that to happen. God gives us, on average, 77 years to live. If you're lucky, maybe 100. And it takes about that long to do what God wants to do in our life. Oftentimes, I think when people are taken early, it's because God's done the work he's going to do. Or God's realizing that there's not much happening there. Parable puts attention on the heart, not the plant. We tend the heart, we let the plant grow and give it freedom to grow. Don't get in the way of it. Really, this explains the heart of chapter 2 and 3. There are people that hear it and they just don't understand it. And you can say this until you're blue in the face and they just don't get it. So good, the, for good soil... What do we have to do? What's our responsibility? Because a lot of you are like, what should I do? Here's what you should do, and it's in these verses. We first hear the word, and you're all here, so that's good, good start. 
Second is you actually accept what it says, and that's not always easy. And then third is watch it bear fruit. That's so simple. Folks, this is good news. The good news is we are in a religion that doesn't demand much of anything from us. It just asks us to receive. What a blessing. God doesn't demand anything from you. He just wants you to let the word of God get in your heart. And your immediate thing is, well, yeah, yeah, but there's this stuff I really like to do. And then I realized it was sin and and your conscience worked on it. You know, if you're getting rid of sin in your life, pray for your heart to not want it anymore so that your will aligns with God's will. We use that language a lot, but sometimes we hear it and we just don't understand it. Pray for God to take away the temptation at the root, not just, I'm going to stop myself next time. Uh Uh-uh, Lord, change me so I don't even want to. So I've seen the disaster of it so clearly, I want nothing to do with it anymore. So you're not refraining yourself from what you really want to do. You're freeing yourself from the thorns that were catching your life. And that's just a totally different way of looking at it. Isaiah 58, 11, the Lord will guide you continually, satisfy your soul in a drought and strengthen your bones. You'll, you'll be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters never fail. If that's a promise of God, let's wait on that promise. I want that in my life. I want to be like that. Our, our hearts need the seed of the word of God. And then we need to just keep the thorns out of the way and get the rocks out of the way. That's our job. Verse 21. By the way, that's our job for evangelism too because the fruit here is some get this much, some get that much. Some people are like, well, I'm, I, I don't really tell hundreds of people about the word of God because I'm spending so much time with my grandkids. Well, amen to that. God bless you because if you can give the word of God to your grandkids, you're actually doing exactly what's the outpouring of your heart and what you love to do. I honestly think we force ourselves too much to fit an image or mold of who we should be based on what we see other people doing versus just letting God do a work in your heart and doing, saying yes to the things God's put in front of you. And for some people, that's grandkids. For some people, that's evangelizing to the crowds and the masses. Some people, it looks one way. Some people, it looks another way. And God uses all of that and orchestrates it and has for 2,000 years to advance his word on the planet Earth. Praise the Lord. Verse 21. He also said to them, also he said to them, is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed? It is not to be set on a lamp. It, it is not to be set on a lampstand for there's nothing hidden which will not be revealed nor has anything been kept secret that should not come to light. He just said, I'm telling you mysteries. The point of the mystery isn't to keep it secret. It's to let people know. When you've unlocked the parable of the seeds, Your obligation then is to tell people about it. That's Jesus' next point here. Everything Jesus is teaching will eventually be made clear, verse 21. As it is today, we read these, like here we are 2,000 years later, we're reading this parable, and we have the key right in front of us. It's all been made known. None of the parables of the New Testament are meant to be continually locked up at this point. We should read them and understand these are spiritual truths. They're about our hearts. The Gospels put these parables on lampstands. The first generation said, we better write these parables down so that future generations can read them. So these were these truths that we get from Jesus have been put on a lampstand, and we do that this morning by talking about them. And we sit down for lunch, we, some of us keep talking about them afterwards, and I love that. The light here is meant to be shared. What you hear on a Sunday morning, you should be willing and to boldly share with other people through the week. I'm not a Bible scholar. I can't preach to God. Just tell people what you learned on Sunday. Every week. Watch what happens in your life. 
And I like doing this with annoying people. Honestly, if I don't really want them around and I'm feeling curmudgeonly, they'll come up and say things and I'll just be like, you know what I learned on Sunday? And for non-Christians, they will run as fast as they can. It's great. Put God out in front and just, you know, maybe that's not the best evangelism. But I love working into conversations. You know, I've been so blessed. You know what I got on Sunday morning? I think the pastor was talking about this, but the Holy Spirit was just saying this to me, and it came from this verse. It was so great, so wonderful. That natural communication of ideas to people around us, if they love us, they're just like, you're weird, but I can see you're happy about it. And they can see that blessing in your life. And as they look at you over three, four, five, six years, they're going to see that you're a plant that's growing that doesn't have thorns on you. You don't catch other people up. You're the one that's going to have seeds and harvest of your own. And I take great hope in that. Plants grow up and produce way more seeds. Like the word of God multiplies as it comes out of us. And it happens naturally. The light that we have, the light of the word of God is meant to be shared. So we share it all the time. At this point in history, light was not an electric device. It was fire. And the image of fire becomes something that um, you wouldn't put under a basket or under a, a bushel, because it would burn the house down, right? There, and I think that that's an interesting idea, that they used lampstands, which were reflective metal, to be out in the open air, so they didn't wreck things. You don't hide the Word of God, because it actually made, when you're ashamed of the Word of God, it actually does some damage. What are you ashamed of? What people will think of you? That you're going to mess it up? Put it on a lampstand. See what happens. Those people that have light have a moral obligation to use it correctly and don't burn things, don't burn bridges when you use it. The Word of God's not a weapon to be used to attack people. It's a thing to be able to share our joy with people and to communicate. If anybody has ears, let them hear. Let them understand this. Without the Spirit, we lack ears ourselves. We don't get it. God has to open this up. Step one, hear it. Come ready every week to get more roots in your life and to get more things in there. Come ready to be changed every week. Otherwise, why are you dorking around with this? Go take your morning and do something else with it. Let God grow in your life and let let that word of God be heard and understand it. Some of you take notes while you're hearing the word of God. Some of you are underlining things in your Bible while you hear the word of God. Come ready to learn. Come ready to be in a class so that what you learn gets remembered. Some of you just let it seep in. Some of you fall asleep (laughs) and you're just going to let the word of God come through your dreams or something (laughs) like Timber. He's a good dog. He really is. Then he said to them, take heed to what you hear. Step two, heed it. Actually do it. If the word of God says don't do something or do do something, do your darndest to make that happen in your life. This implies a moral obligation to hear the word of God and then to heed it. That means you need good teachers. So I I think this is Isaiah 28.10, precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. That's how we get the word of God in our life. We have to take heed to something that we actually hear to know the thing in our life. There are a lot of reasons to pick a fellowship to hang out with, but the number one thing should be, are they teaching the Word of God in a way that I can take heed to it in my own life? Can I do anything different because of what I've just heard? Are they teaching the Word or are they using it to give their own opinions and life tactics? 
Or are they just planting seeds and putting it out there and trusting the Holy Spirit to work on our hearts? And I honestly, that to, to me is a huge burden. I want to make sure every week that my opinion is gone and what comes out is the opinion that the writer is trying to share with the reader as much as possible and then talk about how to apply it in our life. We have to be careful to what we listen to because what goes into our head has an effect on our head. In the 80s, there was tons of like really morbid, sad music, like The Cure and some of that sort of thing. And there were a lot of my friends who'd be like, I'm feeling really down today. And I could hear in the background that they're playing The Cure. I'm like, what do you, then stop pumping that garbage into your head. It's, 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 it's like saying, I, I need to get my head clear, but I, I, I'm in a fog right now and I want to just keep being in a fog. I want to get my head clear, but I'm going to go to a gravity room and start bouncing around. The same measure that you use It'll be measured to you, and to you who hear, more will be given. So we're to hear it, accept it, and use it. I love this, the same measure that you use. Jesus uses that principle a lot. Like, may uh, Lord judge me as I judge other people. May there be some justice in how this works out. So the degree to which we use the Word of God, we share it with people during the week. Honestly, if you go all week and you don't talk to anybody about what you heard on a Sunday morning, you're not using the Word of God. You haven't taken it and used it with other people. But if you do, I promise you there's a blessing in it. I promise you, I'm bearing witness to you. It works. It really does. You take it and you use it with other people. Anything that's joyful, anything that's good, anything that's noble, anything that's pure, anything that's righteous, share it with people. Bless them. Encourage them. We hear it, we accept it, we use it. That's the point of hearing God's word, is not just to bury it under a bushel, it's to use it. I'll give you an example of this. You'll get very common surfacey questions in life. How was your weekend? What'd you do, you know, like, what have you been up to? Did you catch a deer? And you'll get those kinds of questions. And the answer to that question could be, we we're in Mark chapter four reading about the parable of the seeds. And my teacher said everything I'd already heard a million times, but the Holy Spirit was working on my heart. You can say that to anybody, regardless of where they're coming from. And oh, okay. And some people will just think you're weird because you're actually talking about it. But if you, again, keep the garden tended and keep planting those seeds, keep casting the seeds yourself and throwing them out to people. I learned that the parable of seeds was about the heart. And I learned that my, in my own heart, I became aware that I got to work on things in myself. Think how that could lead to a conversation with a non-believer. Do you ever see things in my heart that hurt you or offend you? Are there things I need to work on to have a better relationship with you? Like, I don't care what religion you're from. That's a great thing to talk to people about. How can I be a better friend? How can I be a better husband? You can use the Word of God very practically. That equals one measure, but what if I did that 60 times or 100 times? What if I kept doing that all week just because I like to see the results? How does that work? And God's daring us. He's inviting us to test him in these things. Try it. Do it twice or more and let God blow you away. It will be measured unto you. The word measured there is metrio. It's where we get the word metric. It means cut off or specifically counted out. Precise. God will be just. If you use his word, he will measure it back to you perfectly. 
Now, that's a curious spiritual principle that I want to test. Anybody with any kind of research or mind would think, well, I want to test that theory. So then I might even keep a journal and keep track of how many times I share what I heard in the Word that week. And it doesn't just have to be from Mark 4. It can be from your own devotions. Here's what I read this morning. The more sin you do, the more it robs you of life. The, it has a momentum, but the momentum goes both ways. The more of God that you do, the more he'll measure back life into you. And you will find joy. When you're five years old, you don't get this because you just have joy. You're a five-year-old. Further along you get in life, joy has to come from somewhere and you realize it's not coming from my heart. Where does it come from? Well, you just got the answer. Verse 25. Forever has, to him more will be given. But whoever does not have, even what he has, will be taken away from him. Amazing to me that when folks see, don't see a full measure, I mean, in a way, I'm greedy for God's word because I like to get the blessing from God's word. I'm an unnaturally happy human being. I'm an unnaturally joyful human being. I'm a little nuts that way. But part of it is I devour the word of God and it brings me life to where there's nothing that can happen that really seems that bad in light of it all. And it doesn't mean we don't have trials and tribulations and persecutions. It means I just don't care about them that much. All right? God gives, God takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We sow God's word in our heart every time we hear it, every time we show up and listen, every time we do devotions. We're hearing God's word. The question is, what are you going to do with it? And this is something that somebody can do on day one of following the king. Day one, take what you heard and share it with one person. And test the Lord in this. Some people want to see the world more. Some people want to see it their own way. Some people want to see things faster. Some want to fit in and make friends with the thorns. Even a little seed that we have will not be last. It'll be taken away when the hearts are in the wrong place. You won't see the results if there's stones and there's thorns. Some devour God's word because it's all they want. Jeremiah 15, 16. Your words were found and I devoured them. And your word was with me, the joy and rejoicing in my heart, for I'm called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. The thing that makes Jeremiah happy is simply that God called his name. He's not happy because of what he did. Frankly, Jeremiah's ministry was a bummer. He's just happy because God called his name. God, I'm just happy you called me. I'm happy you loved me. Spurgeon says, those that are uninterested in the word, sharing it's also kind of uninteresting. Those that find fault in God's word kind of will find that God finds fault with them. Those that agree with most of God's word, but not all of it, there's a stone there, they're going to find that God can't quite accept them into heaven. And those that hunger for a blessing of God's word, living water, they receive all of it and more so. Pathway, stones, thorns, it's fertile ground. Those that have to more will be given. Those that don't have, if you don't figure this stuff out, even what you have will be taken away from you. There is a consequence because this life is one giant testing ground. It doesn't matter what you did yesterday. It matters what you do tomorrow. It's all one big testing ground. Verse 25, forever has, tomorrow will be given. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Someone at all in full measure, precept on precept, the whole counsel of God, and it grows and it grows big and it doesn't happen instantly. You can't watch a plant grow. It's like watching paint dry or the sun moving across the sky. It happens, but for some reason we can't perceive it with our senses. 
Growth happens over time. This is how the kingdom of God works. Here's two examples. Verse 26. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed, remember that's God's word, on the ground, and should sleep by night, rise by day, and the seed should sprout and grow, but he himself doesn't know how. He never sees it. For the earth yields crops by itself, first the blade, then the head, then then after that the full grain of the head. But when the grain ripens, immediately he puts in the sinkle because the harvest has come. All right, so this is, I think, the coolest thing about being a believer. You just do things faithfully, and the, the sprout comes up. You keep doing things faithfully. Well, you screw up once, and then you get back to doing it faithfully. You screw up again. You keep going back to doing it faithfully, and then all of a sudden there's a head on that plant, and then it flowers, and then suddenly there's seeds, and you just made your own seeds ready to go out. Like, that's pretty amazing. When you first become a believer, especially if you're really messed up, nobody really wants to hear from you because your life is not the best example. But over the years, things start happening, and pretty soon those seeds are ready to go, and that's when we just get the sickle out because we want to spread those seeds everywhere we go. So it's imperceptible. It's gentle. Just that idea of we don't know how it goes. We do our part and God does his. We don't have the understanding or even the power or the force to make our own heart grow. We can see it's growing and we can see that it's growing over time. There's some benchmarks like Jesus gives with the plant. There's some benchmarks like I'm not nervous all the time. My anger's disappeared. I actually don't desire the things that destroy my life anymore. Like those are benchmarks where you can see that your heart is growing, but it happens so imperceptibly because I think part of it is we're growing into aligning our will with God's will. To reduce God's work to a set of seven steps or a program for a better life is like reducing God's power into these pathetic little boxes. It just doesn't work that way. It's not that, so I just want, I want to know five things I can do for a happier heart. Well, God's already told you. Hear the word of God, accept what it says, and use it with other people. Try that. See if that works. That's better than a training seminar. It's better than a a set of tenets or manuals. It's better than any course you could take. It's better than seminary. It's better than anything that the world creates, even in the church, to tell you how to be happy. Hear the word of God, accept what it says, go do it. Those are three really difficult things. Stick on them. Praise God, it's not any more complex. Like honestly, for those that don't like to read, if we had to go read more stuff, but you don't even have to. You just get to go to church every week and listen to it. Verse 28, for the yield yields crops by itself. We spread the seed, but the earth yields the crops. The heart does it all on its own. So my word should go forth out of my mouth, but it will not return to me void, Isaiah 55, 11, but it shall accomplish what I please. It shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. That's what God says. When his word goes out of you, out of the pastor, it doesn't come back void. It actually bears fruit when done right. The real work of God is that we have to trust that he'll do his part. That's called faith. I'm going to do my part. I know God will do his. And he gives you evidence everywhere in the natural world because none of you have grown a plant on your own. You might have planted a seed, but none of you have grown plants. The same thing is true in the kingdom of God. Don't believe an arrogant person when they say, I brought so-and-so into salvation. No, you didn't. You might have shared the word of God with them, but God raises the person to salvation, not you. 
And this is frustrating for people that want to force other people to be believers. You can't do that. It doesn't work like that. Blade, head, full grain, clear markers of growth. They clearly open over time. There's spiritual evidence of it. There's natural world evidence of plants growing, but you can't actually watch it happen. Nobody says, wow, you're an excellent weeder. They say, wow, you're an excellent gardener. Nobody says, wow, you're the best stone picker I've ever seen. They just say, wow, your garden looks great. Right? Maybe we should think about how we think about people getting saved and how they do it. Because if this is how the kingdom of God works, then all we need to be doing is verse 29. When the grain ripens, we should be ready to harvest and get our own seeds going. Notice that in this image, the sower is using the seeds and they've grown, but the sower is also ready to harvest the seeds. I don't like it when people say, I do this and this is my blessing. This is my gifting in the church. I do only this. Nonsense. Jesus is speaking to everybody right now. We're all sowers of the word. We're all ready to harvest when that moment is there. Peter says we should all be ready to defend our faith when people ask. All of us. Some two or three, some 60, some a hundredfold. God uses the seed to produce more seeds, does it over and over and over again. And here's the thing. If we're there to be when the grain ripens, you can't miss, just this farming example, you can't miss when a harvest is ready to harvest. It's unmistakable. It's not like, oh, I missed that or I missed it. It is so obvious. Wheat is green until it's ready to harvest. Then it turns yellow or this golden amber waves of grain, right? It actually changes color. You can actually see when somebody's ready for the word of God. Small beginnings, massive results, very little work for the sower. Just tend the soil. Parable of the mustard seed comes next. Hear it in context of everything Jesus is saying. Then he said, to what shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what parable shall we picture it? How do we even imagine how this works? It's like a mustard seed, which when it's sown on the ground, it's smaller than all the seeds of the earth. It's little like a little peppercorn, even smaller than that. But when it's sown, it grows up to become greater than all the herbs. And it shoots out large branches so that the birds of the air may nest under its shade. I thought the birds of the air were Satan. Remember, that's a key that we unlock. This is a really, you use the key and this parable takes on a little bit different meaning than I kind of grew up understanding. I get the idea that like you plant a little seed of faith and it grows into this mighty thing. But the seed is not faith, right? The key here is the seed is the word of God. It's really small, little tiny doses. And so, but look what it does. This is crazy. Like I remember hanging out with this guy in high school and we came back for a family reunion or not a family reunion what do you call them class reunions we get back for a class reunion we're on the little tour bus that we're all sitting on and and i and i said to him like so i remember in high school that you wanted to be a doctor you wanted to you've done everything you said you wanted to do in high school you must be super happy in your heart you must have arrived is that the case then he gave me some answer or whatever, but like, then he went back home to his wife and he, like, he knew something was wrong. Teeny little mustard seed. You must be happy now. But he realized he wasn't happy. He just, because you don't just get the doctorate, then you got to get your 
clinic set up. Then you got to worry about people coming to your clinic. Then you got to worry about your employees. And the worry just keeps going. And so he quit his job as a doctor and had nothing to do with me other than a super teeny seed and just in the Holy Spirit going, man, he must be really happy right now because he was always so driven. You must just be peace. You must be chilling. You've arrived. And he realized there's no arrival on that path. It's a dead end. And then he became a pastor. So, and we've never visited his church yet. So, small seed, big beginnings. That's how God works. Sometimes you say things and you don't even know what you're saying as a seed that's going into people because the word of God is just coming out of you. By the way, we're not going to do the storm thing this week, so we are getting close to done. God's word has come. It actually, here's the thing, I got to deal with these birds. God's word has come in the form of Jesus Christ because Jesus gave new words added to the scriptures. We now have a New Testament. Super small beginning, 12 people, a few women scattered there with them. He dies on the cross. He's resurrected. Hundreds of people get it. Hundreds is not a big number on a planet Earth. But those hundreds have since become millions of people. The Word of God has stretched out with branches. It's gone into Cambodia. It's gone into Latvia. It's gone over to South America. It's even come to North America. It is stretched out over the whole globe. Super small thing in the Middle East. The Word of God has grown. We've seen this happen. Very small beginnings, huge influence and reach. And what happens when the Word of God then is covering everything is that the birds, instead of eating the seed, have to abide under its shadow. So if the birds of the air still represent Satan, that hasn't changed in this parable. Instead of consuming things, now they have to live with it. I like this. Satan does not dominate at all. Satan has to abide within the context that the word of God is out there. So this is one way to think about it. If I'm thinking about an unbeliever or even somebody hostile to Christianity, they have to deal with me. I don't have to deal with them. Like the power relationship's totally different. And it's because Jesus rose from the dead. It's because the victory's already won. All of those things. I, I could list a few more cliches. But they're overshadowed by it. The birds live in its shadow. They're no longer able to do anything about it. And perhaps that's another knock on the scribes and Pharisees because now they have to deal with all these multitudes following Jesus right now. And he's flipping things. Like that could be something where Jesus is taking a little stab at those Pharisees again. It's not for Jesus to make the Pharisees happy. It's for the Pharisees to deal with Jesus. And the same is true of the believers. The roads... Corrupt Christianity has been a source of hard-heartedness for 2,000 years, right? The church, the word of God going out, we haven't gotten rid of Satan. He's still there. Within the church, hard-heartedness has caused legalism, persecution, oppression, all bad, all hurting the reputation of God from within the church. From within the church, there have been stones in the hearts. Compromised Christianity accepts part of what God says, but not this part over here because it's not popular in the culture I live in. And those people have hurt through hypocrisy the word of God by living under the shadow of the word of God. Thorns, well-meaning but distracted Christians, show people that you can be a distracted Christian and not be all in for Christ. That there's a, there's a halfway kind of thing out there anti this and anti that or you get things that catch you up like news articles hit and they get you all worked up and now you're angry which is not something Jesus encourages us to be 
So you get people that are caught in thorns, but then they become thorns. They come to church on Sunday and they want everybody to talk about this or that or the other thing or some such to push and fight and move this and do that, forgetting the entire parable of the seeds. Just work on your heart, man. Some people got really upset with the elections that just happened. Is God still on his throne or not? Amen. Yes, he is. Then chill. Relax. Our country's going to hell in a handbasket, and they want to go that way by majority vote. So that puts more obligation on us to work on our hearts so that we're not legalistic, we're not keeping sin in our life, we're not getting caught up on the thorns of this world. Be different. If you really want to change the country, change the person that's sitting in your seat. Verse 33, And with many such parables he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. But without a parable he didn't speak to them. And when they were alone, he explained all things to his disciples. He kept a very small, tight group. And he tried to explain all these things to them because he knew they had good, good hearts. They were ready to hear it. So this is how Jesus taught. Mark is showing us the gist of all the teachings, but unlike Matthew and Luke and John, Mark isn't really giving us all the teachings. He's just giving us a sampling of these parables. This is how Jesus taught. Verse 33 makes that point. So he gives a mystery. Don't you wonder where joy comes from? There's a mystery. Then he gives an invitation. Hey, there's a fellowship over here where we all have joy. And then there's this harvest. I want joy too. How do I get it? Repent of your sin and hang out with us. Get the word of God in your heart. Let it take seed. Let the plant grow. And that's how God does things. He did not speak to them. Jesus simply didn't engage people in any other way. Think of that as, as to how we as a church have changed that and we've moved that into some other kind of philosophy. He expressed the spiritual truths of God via physical realities and he let it just sit on people. He let them deal with it, not him dealing with them. Well, how do I say to convince people? How do I argue with people to get this right? Nobody came to Jesus because they lost an argument, ever. It doesn't work that way. I love that this section ends small again, when they were alone, just them and Jesus. The place where we understand the truths of God is when we're alone. I honestly think it's not even here at church. It's when you take that time alone with God and you directly talk to God and you pray to God. Great if you're doing devotions and hearing his word. Great if you're praying. Great if you're just there, but be alone with God. And then it says, he explained all things. Simple, small, gentle, loving, merciful, gracious Jesus reveals things to us. And he does it when we're alone with him. If you never get alone with God, you've got too many thorns in your life. If you don't think it's important to get alone with God, you've got a stone in your heart. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you're probably a well-worn road. But he explained all things. You plant the word in your heart, you spend time alone with God, soften the soil of your heart and let the word grow. Get those times. On the same day when evening had come, this is the, it says on the same day when evening had come, this is the biggest break we've had in Mark so far, isn't it? We had like a couple days back in chapter two, but this is a huge break. We're going to carry on with what happens next because I actually think this is, at the end of verse 34, that's the most distinct chapter break that we've seen in the book of Mark so far. So we're going to stop on chapter, we'll pick up on verse 35 next week and we'll try to get through the next chapter. All of this simpleness 
is going to go right into one of the most famous stories about Jesus stopping a storm. But don't forget that this is what happened right before that. This super simple mustard seed of a truth and then this massive powerful display of Jesus' power next week. And that's where we'll pick up when we get to verse 35. So evening then is going to be sleeping time for Jesus. Remember that the planter, and I just want to, would go to sleep and wake up and the plant had grown. So it's, when you look at 35, what's going to happen next is Jesus is actually going to go to sleep in like for real. And something's supposed to be happening in his, the hearts of his believers that isn't happening the right way. But he said, he just got done saying, the, the, the sower goes to sleep and wakes up and doesn't know how it happened, but the plant just grew. So Jesus is going to go to sleep and let the Holy Spirit work on his disciples' hearts. And then they're going to get a new lesson from Jesus, but we'll do that next week. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we just thank you for the truth of your word. Lord, I pray that it sinks in deep, that everyone in this room has soft soil. And Lord, but I know that even in my heart, I've got stones. I know that I need to tend that garden, and if I don't, weeds will spring up, that the world's just always introducing new things. Lord, help us to not be distracted. Help us to not be engaged or lured by sin that we know we shouldn't be doing. Lord, help us to not be shameful when we have sin. Get up and move on. And Lord, help us to just continue to watch the plant grow and to be satisfied in that. Lord, help us to be content with the fact that you are doing a work in our hearts. You've promised you would, and you've never broke a promise. So Lord, no matter how much we struggle, no matter where we're finding things in our life that we're not happy with, Lord, take them away and change our heart. May the plant grow. May the sun and the rain help it to grow quicker. And Lord, we just pray for your will to be done in our life. Lord, I pray for each person in this room. May you bless their heart. May you tend the soil and make the plant grow. May they be in the middle of this week and have one of the verses from chapter four just pop into their head. May they think of this parable as they go through the week. May they meditate on it day and night. And Lord, may they go in peace and love and grace. Lord, help us to just be the light that the world needs to see on a lampstand. And Lord, help us to tend that light and to let it shine. Lord, I pray that we don't do that in hypocrisy. May no one in this room fake that they're joyful. I pray you give them joy. I pray you give them peace. I pray you give them love. In Jesus' name, amen. Even you, Tim, I wasn't just praying for humans. If you found this teaching helpful, insightful, you can support this podcast by sharing it with a friend. Screenshot it, tag it, post it on your social media.